The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Francis Watch on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Stephen Heiner, and on this episode, I'm joined by His Excellency Bishop Donald Sanborn and Father Anthony Cicada, Your Excellency Father, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here. Yes, it's especially nice to be here after such a long time. So back in the swing of things for me. We're going back to the old rubrics, Father, by having you here. Uh, we we had uh, we had missed you, so it's uh, it's good to have you back um, before your surgery. Yes, I can. Uh, I'm sure I can find some good arguments in canon law to justify it. So just give me a little time. <laughs> <laughs> I've been criticized for going back to the old rubrics, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, we 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 know this. Um, well, as you know, Francis has not uh, taken note of whether Father Chicada has been ill or not in order to keep pace with his pronouncements. So he has been generous to us since uh, our last episode. And Father, I, I've done a little bit of shuffling with your categories. It's never going to be as complete as the Father Chicada show plan. But uh, today we've got uh, the Call Me Jorge se- segment, the Out in the Novus Ordo sect segment, and the world reaction segment. So in our first segment, the Call Me Jorge segment, we have Francis confirming the spirit of the law regarding Amoris Laetitia. And we have articles uh, that people can search if they'd like to, both from Barate Chaley and Novus Ordo Watch. But I have to say, Your Excellency and Father, you called this a long time ago. Well, sure. Uh, you knew that from many, many uh, statements that he made concerning a communion to a divorce and remarried way before this document that he was entirely in favor of giving the divorce and remarried those living in sin holy communion. He was totally in favor of it, and so that, that we uh, see that he's confirming this interpretation of it uh, it is really nothing to be surprised at. I think we got into uh, this discussion uh, initially back in the fall of 2013, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, if not even earlier than that, because r- right from the beginning, it seemed as if he was uh, giving out hints as to uh, what exactly he wanted to do. And uh, he hinted at it during the lead up to the Synod, and then we, we find this this um, in the footnote of the Senate document, and then 
sure enough, he confirms it with his his uh, comments to the Argentine bishops. Do you see this as a pattern, Your Excellency and Father? Is he going to continue in this, publish a document, and then tell you what he really thinks? Or was this just a trial balloon and he's going to go more radical after this? Well, I think that that the 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 real pièce de résistance, we might say, of this document is whether <coughs> the people living in sin can approach the the Holy Eucharist. I think you know the the rest of it. Of course, you know it contained many heresies and errors, but that was the the, the central issue, and it was what the German bishops were pushing for. I mean, they have all of these people in in these bad marriages and. Of course, the churches are empty in Germany, and they need everybody that they can get uh, sort of integrated into their churches in order to keep them going. I mean, they're uh, from the point of view of attendance, they're on life support right now. And, and so, you know, the church has to, quote-unquote, you know, reach out to these people and that we can't tell them that they are living in sin anymore. Uh, so, you know, he made a comment, oh, a year before this, this document where he said, you know, he said sarcastically, you invite people to the Mass and you tell them all you can do is go to the Mass, but you can't do anything else. He said that sarcastically, as if to say, uh, we should be inviting them to Holy Communion too. Uh, so uh, this is clear. I, I, I you know, I, my opinion is that the man is an atheist and that uh, if for him it's just a question of breaking down one by one the the final vestiges of Roman Catholicism uh, that might be in some people's minds, and this is just uh, you know one more column to fall. I, I I always compare the Novus Ordo religion to the 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 Roman Forum. If you go and stand in front of the Roman Forum, uh, you, all you see is vestiges of one once great temples and whatnot. That, that you know were splendid, and now all you see is stumps for columns, and and if the Italian government didn't keep up what was left, the rest of it would fall down too. So this is a, a just a process of taking apart Catholicism one by one. So this is one of the episodes in the dismantling of Catholicism that still might be uh, living in the minds of certain people. Sure, and the the, the way the way he did it is. Um First of all, obviously, all the verbiage of the synod, and then this huge amount of wordy nonsense that um, it did, uh, pages and pages and pages for Morris Letizia, but the one thing everyone was looking for and knew was coming was communion for adulterers, because that was the big issue. And you, we see how he exactly how he handled it with, with all this, this, this um, uh, logaria, uh, as it were, and then it's in one footnote, and then he um, uh, supposedly clarifies the uh, footnote, and now it, because of the nature of publicity in uh, modern culture, then that is going to be the operating um, understanding that Catholics throughout the world will have of communion for those um, who are living in sin, who are living in adultery. Uh, you'll have a few. In, in fact, uh, on Novus Ordo Watch, um, uh, this morning, uh, they uh, put up a uh, book called What Pope Francis Really Said. 
So this the 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 point of it this book is some conservative wrote this, uh, whose name is Tom Hoops. I don't know. That's kind of appropriate because he's certainly seems to be jumping through them. And he is, the name of the book is what Pope Francis really said. And we know what Pope Francis really said. Oh, so it's like a whitewash? Yeah, it's, it's a whitewash. <laughs> and it's like Jimmy Aiken and, and, and uh, company, you know, 10 things you need to know about communion for adulterers. And it's, it's, it's a whitewash type of book. So, uh, but it's... Uh, really becomes more and more indefensible. Well, it sounds like an inspiration for a Father Z blog, you know, Father, because his blog is What Does the Prayer Really Say? So he could start another blog, you know, What Did Francis Really Say? And that would be a, you know, a companion. He could accompany his other blog uh, in, in, a, in a process of discernment. Yeah, and the other thing was, was uh, for a while, the top of Father uh, Z's uh, blog was uh, reading um, Francis through Benedict. And uh, I don't know if we wanted to put up a new, um, uh, some sort of a new title for it. Or is it reading Francis through, I don't know, Henry VIII or through Divorce Court or something like that? It could be I've Stopped Reading, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> now, I heard at a certain point that some Novus Ordo conservatives were defending the document by saying that what the Holy Father meant was that if uh, adultery is committed with fear, that it's not a mortal sin, it's only a venial sin, and therefore this is what it means that those people who are only in venial sin uh, living in adultery may approach the communion rail. Did, 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 where did that appear? I, I, somebody told me that. Did anyone see that? <sighs> As, a, as an explanation of the, of the document. Oh, the, the, the venial sin explanation, I wasn't, wasn't quite sure. Uh, uh, I hadn't heard the part about fear. So yes. I wonder, what's, what's the fear problem? Well, that's what I said, is, you know, people get married in front of a, supposedly get married in front of a justice of the peace for the second time around. Where is the fear there? I mean, they've chosen each other. Where is their fear with regard to... Uh, sexual relations in uh, somebody that has contracted a marriage freely of his or her own consent. Where, where could fear possibly come into that? <laughs> you know, does somebody have a gun to the lady's head? <laughs> you know, it, it was just so ridiculous. I, that it makes no sense. No, but I'd like to, I thought, I forget, who told me that, that that was one of the explanations for it. And, uh, it, you know, it shows how desperate uh, the, uh, they are. So, um, uh, but, yeah, it, it's, uh, it was to be expected, and here we are, we have it. Don't forget when he came back from Lesbos, uh, uh, that he chose that island and all of the islands of the Aegean to go to. When he came back from Lesbos, they said to him, does Amoris Laetitia change the rule of the church concerning the distribution of Holy Communion to the divorced and remarried. And he said, oh, yes, it does. And they brought up to him the footnote. And he said, I didn't write that footnote. And that's the way he left it. And then he, he you know, later on he approves of this uh, 
this Argentinian priest who said this is the only way you can take it. And of course, it is the only way you can take it. That footnote says everything. Already the text itself said a great deal, but the footnote says everything. It applies it to Eucharistic discipline. And of course it's true. And anyone who doesn't see it doesn't want to see it. The, the, the story on this from Novus Ordo Watch refers to a website called infocatolica.com, which originally had posted Francis's reply. Then I think when everyone found out about it, they, they removed it. But thankfully, Novus Ordo Watch, uh, who knows that this sort of thing happens, had saved everything. And this was a response. For the, so the original document was issued uh, pastorally for Buenos Aires, and it was entitled Basic Criteria for the Application of Chapter 8 of Amoris Laetitia. Francis then sent a letter in response to this document, and, and there were three points highlighted. And Your Excellency, Your Father, you can stop me at any point if, if you want to comment, because you can't take it anymore. Uh, point five, when the concrete circumstances of a couple allow for it, especially when both are Christians in a journey of faith, the commitment to live in continence can be proposed. Amoris Laetitia does not ignore the difficulties of this option and leaves open the possibility of access to the Sacrament of Reconciliation when they fail in this commitment. Well, that's clear. Point six. In more complex circumstances, and when there is no possibility of obtaining a declaration of nullity, the option mentioned may not be feasible. Nevertheless, the path of discernment is another possibility. If you realize that in a particular case there are limitations that mitigate responsibility and guilt, particularly when a person considers that he would fall into subsequent sin that hurts the children of the new union, Amor Laetitia opens up the possibility of access to the sacraments of reconciliation and the Eucharist. These, in turn, will dispose the person to mature and grow with the help of grace. Yes. I mean, what what sort of sin are we talking about? When a person considers he would fall into subsequent sin that hurts the children of the new uh, and adulterous union. What are we talking about? I think in that document... uh, Father, they, it was the sin uh, of not uh, having uh, an adulterous, uh, ha- not having adulterous relations. That that would hurt the children. Yeah, that would hurt the children. Right? Oh, that's that's right. Got it. Okay, got yeah, it. I had forgotten that. Uh, uh, yeah, as <laughs> if they're standing watching, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's really ridiculous. Yeah, and it's so materialistic. You would you would help the children by saying we cannot have sexual relations because we're not really married. That would help the children. That would give the children a supernatural sense and a, a, the, the idea that, well, you have to obey the law of God. You see, But they, they approach this from a purely naturalistic, materialistic idea that somehow the children will feel bad if their parents, so to speak, are not having sexual intercourse. You know, as if, you know, this is something that is commonly discussed from day to day. You know, what household, and what household does that happen? Where parents discuss in front of the children, maybe, maybe in his kind of household, I don't know, but where does that happen? Where parents discuss in front of the children their, their sex lives. <laughs> How would the children well, even the, know? The, the Vatican just... The Vatican did just point, uh, put out a uh, general sex ed program, I think, 
which uh, caused, I guess, quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of discussion. But the, you're right; the whole whole idea is crazy. It is crazy. And if you're going to teach kids anything, uh, it's it's that uh, being a, a faithful follower of our Lord requires sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And this is what you know we have to do. Point nine in yes. this document uh, from the 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 diocese of uh, Buenos Aires is: it may be appropriate that an eventual access to the sacraments be given in a reserved manner, especially when situations of conflict are foreseen. I, I don't know if that's a secret uh, reception of communion somewhere, but at the same time, you should not stop accompanying the community so that it may grow in the spirit of understanding and acceptance without this implicitly creating confusion regarding the church's teaching on the indissolubility of marriage. The community is the instrument of mercy, which is unmerited, <laughs> unconditional, and free. Translation that if people are scandalized by the fact that you're giving communion to Mr. and Mrs. Henry VIII, all right, you might have to give them communion privately while you break down the morals of the people in sermons, you know, in telling them that they shouldn't be judgmental and that this is a wonderful thing and adultery isn't so bad after all, uh, until they are accepting of it so that they can be an instrument of mercy too. That's the meaning that they can approve the adultery and applaud the people as they go up to the communion rail. That's the translation of that. I've got to say that uh, I missed that. The uh, I missed that the first time around. Yeah, I did too. Uh, I did too. In, I don't in, recall uh, that. Point nine, but that's that's ex- that's exactly it. That's exactly it because it's um, if someone objects to this. Uh, in uh, the uh, congregation, um, uh, say the the first wife, okay, uh, that uh, it's it's her problem, right? It's it's Catherine of Aragon's problem, and the uh, congregation should be brought around to the, the Henry and Henry and Anne could get the, the sacraments privately somehow until the whole. Um, Congregation of the Royal Chapel is brought about to the idea to be more accepting of, of uh, Henry and Anne. Yes, and then Catherine would have to be scorned for not accepting. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, so um, uh, it, it is really, really uh, insane. It's, it's what they call blame shifting. The wrong people are being blamed, obviously. Yes. Well, being judgmental is the ultimate crime. So being judgmental about yes. Henry and Anne is the worst thing you could be. So it's, it, I mean, be, little adultery is nothing in comparison to being judgmental. Well, there are people. there are things worse than being judgmental, Your Excellency. I mean, you could be a set of a contest, as, as we know that that's one of the worst things that you could possibly be in the world. Oh, yes, yes. That, uh, that is. Father, Father, I, I don't, I don't, yes. Father, I don't know yes. if you're familiar with the movie Ben Hur, but there's a scene in which uh, it's it's discovered that uh, some of the characters are lepers, and there's this horrible look on the face of the Roman guard when he realizes this. And Bishop Sanborn told me that that's the look that someone has on their face when they find out you're a set of a contest, right? They, they have this just. Ab- look of absolute <laughs> horror. And uh, so there are things worse than being judgmental, Your Excellency, don't forget. Um, so in- I, I suppose, but it's pretty it- high on the list. Right. Well, in response to this document, three of the... No- uh, so there were 10 points listed. I, I read three of them. Uh, Francis responds, 
uh, and this is an English translation of the Spanish original. The document is very good and fully expresses the meaning of Amoris Laetitia chapter 8. There are no other interpretations. So it, 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 for a man who's not characteristically clear, that sounds pretty clear to me. Yes, although he is usually pretty clear. Yeah, he's, he's much clearer than Ratzinger ever was. And, uh, but yes, I mean, he's especially clear here. And, you know, he, he's, he's finally done it. You know, he always or, tends to do things by the back door. He, he uh, will approve something like, you know, having the transgender couple uh, come to the Vatican. Uh, you know, back door sort of approvals so that he can always deny or he can, uh, he can uh, you know, in some way get the, the project done without actually trespassing on something that a, a conservative can complain about as far as, you know, some sort of document or something like that. So, but he gets it done. He, he has his mind uh, or, you know, an interview with a, an atheist or something and, and you know, things that, that pass for just his, his personal opinion when, in fact, they're teaching. And so that gives the, the Novus Ordo conservatives a, a way out all the time. And, uh, and among them are some of those curial cardinals. The, um, um, the political term uh, that uh, arose in, or that was started to be used in the Nixon era for this was plausible deniability. In other words, that the uh, person at the top um, puts things in sort of a, a, uh, a vague way by hints and suggestions and somehow distances himself a little bit from the effect. And that's what, uh, that's what Bergoglio is doing. He uh, sets it up uh, for some plausible deniability for himself to keep the conservatives happy. But people get the message, obviously. Mm-hmm. The next article I want to discuss uh, comes from the Vatican Insider section of La Stampa. And as I'm reading the headline, Your Excellency and Father, I wondered to myself, how do journalists who are who are practicing Novus Ordo, practicing Novus Ordos, actually type this stuff out? The headline is, Pope urges faithful against, quote, makeup religion and doing good deeds for show. You know, if I'm a Novus Ordo and I'm listening to these sermons of, of this guy... I am just doubting every interpretation I've ever had of Scripture. And I'm thinking, oh, I must have missed the real story. It's a good thing that Francis is around to tell me about this. Your Excellency Father, did you have a chance to look at this article? Yes, I saw it. Uh, this is the one on, on uh, not, uh, not doing good deeds just to show off. Yeah, he should talk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was, remember his, all of his humility on display business uh, that he really hasn't given up. Uh, but he was especially intent upon it when he was just elected. But, you know, again, it's, he certainly intends some criticism of the traditional spirituality and the, the traditional faith. I mean, he, he has it on the brain. He hates it. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's just more of Bergoglio. I mean, I don't think there's much to say about it except it's, it's standard fare Bergoglio and... Uh, you know what? What's next on the agenda? Yeah, it's 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 a theme that you know we've heard before. But the hint all the time is that uh, if you actually are serious about practicing your faith and uh, practicing the uh, the Catholic religion, uh, and 
you know, if you say yes, yes, and uh, no, no, that this is, is uh, somehow seen as uh, hypocrisy or Phariseeism. I mean, he ran a whole series of uh, goofy homilies at the St. Marta House on, uh, on this. So uh, it, it, it is indeed more of the same. But I mean, talk about uh, doing good deeds for show. You know, as, as, as we said, this is a, uh, you know, the, the, the finding Muslims, uh, immigrants, uh, finding a feet to wash and paying his own hotel bill and riding on the bus with the cardinals and, uh, you know, uh, dressing like a total jerk with a, um, uh, with a, 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 a cassock that looks like it's made out of bed sheets. Yes, I mean, yes, and uh, then this sash hanging uh, down absolute, below the uh, belly all the time, and the yeah, black and, uh, pants uh, being able to be seen through the cheap cassock all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's it's made out of a bed sheets. Yeah, and and you and, you know wear a pair of white pants, please. You know, but he has some sort of shirt that goes down to sort of you know the far beyond where the shirt goes, and and then you can see the the black pants all the time. And uh, but I mean, I mean that, I guess that's the least of his troubles. But uh, yeah, but that whole the whole way of you know he has to reject the whole uh, protocol that they would ask him to to follow, which you know all of them followed, including JP two and and Ratzinger. Uh, that you know at least you you look nice, you're a public person, that you present yourself nicely. Uh, you know you're like uh, you know some sort of head of state, and and. But no, you know, he, he wants to show that he's one of the guys. And so he wears the bedsheet, the cassock, and, and the sash below his belly. You know, all of that is, is uh, it's uh, the, the question of the symbolism. It's not that, that uh, you know, we um, uh, necessarily think it's the end of the world, uh, that uh, he wears something cheap, but we certainly know what's behind it. And it's that idea of contempt. Uh, for the symbols of the, the, the papal office. You know, he has a, his pectoral cross is like a beer can opener. And, uh, you know, he, he went, won't wear the normal uh, choir dress to greet the cardinals. And uh, all of these things he's, he spurns because he's too good for. So, you know, talk about a uh, makeup religion. At true humility, it, it re repudiates singularity and repudiates anything that would draw attention to yourself. And if he were truly humble, he would accept the uniform and thereby not draw any attention to himself. They would say, oh, he looks just like Ratzinger. But the fact that he repudiates all of those things publicly makes him singular and draws attention to himself as Mr. Humble because those things are, you know, uh, supposedly a sign of, of pride of the person who wears them. Not at all. Those things are signs of the office and not of the individual, but he associates them with the individual. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I wish he would come out in a pair of jeans. You know, I think that would be more appropriate to, you know, his state in life. Be careful what, be careful what you wish for, because you know there'd be some baggy ripped jeans or something. I mean, it wouldn't be like classy jeans. Uh, so, so. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I mean like something you would wear to change the oil. In your car, and and I wish he would wear that stuff. I mean, I think that would be quite appropriate for him. Jorge the mechanic. Uh, yes. Okay. 
Yeah. That might be a great action figure idea, Your, Your Excellency. I might look into that. Um, the the next story I want to talk about comes from the National Catholic Reporter, and it was a it was reportage of Francis's visit to Georgia, and for Americans, not Georgia in the United States. There's a country called Georgia over in uh, near Russia. And uh, he probably six six thousand miles away. Thank goodness. <laughs> and he said, uh, uh, and I quote: "There is." He said this to these Georgian Catholics. I, 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 he said this out loud, Your Excellency and, and Father. There is a big sin against ecumenism, proselytism. You must never proselytize the Orthodox. They are our brothers and sisters, disciples of Jesus Christ. Walk together, pray for each other, and do works of charity together when you can. This is ecumenism. Do not condemn a brother or sister. I mean, could you imagine these these Georgian Catholics hearing this guy talk like this? Well, you know that uh, not too many showed up. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. Yes, I read that. Uh, yeah, it's... Well, ecumenism is the the dogma of Vatican II. Everything that Vatican II did was in the name of ecumenism, whether it was the new mass, whether it was the new ecclesiology, uh, the the uh, or or religious liberty. It was all done in the name of ecumenism, and the council was called in order to consecrate ecumenism, as Don Baudouin said. And ecumenism is a heresy. I was just teaching the seminarians today. This is a quote from Pius IX. He says, We must once more recall and condemn the very grave error into which, unfortunately, some Catholics have fallen who embrace the belief that persons living in error and outside the true faith and, the, and Catholic unity can reach eternal life. Now listen, this is absolutely contrary to Catholic teaching. Now, that's an important statement because he's declaring it heresy. If it is absolutely contrary to Catholic teaching, he's declaring that heresy. Now, go back to Bergoglio. He's saying, leave these people in a state in which they're going to go to hell. That's what he's saying, according to the teaching of the church. These people who are laboring under, under schism uh, and uh, the, the Orthodox and, of course, at least material heresy, because they don't, do not accept certain dogmas of the Catholic Church, that they, they are in a sect that is cut off from the Catholic Church, that we are to leave them pers uh, purposely in this sect and consider them as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. They are not brothers and sisters in Christ. As St. Augustine said, you can't have... Uh, uh, that, that unless the church is your mother, you can't have God for your father. And those who are cut off from the church are cut off from Christ. This, these things have been said over and over again by popes, that, that your attachment to Christ and your attachment to the church are the same thing, the Catholic church, Roman Catholic church. And so he is being extremely uncharitable by not preaching the true faith to these people and not bringing them back from their schism. Uh, he is, it's a, a lack of charity because he is confirming their path to hell. Objectively, we don't judge their consciences, obviously. It's a whole other world. But objectively, they are on the path to hell and he is, uh, you know, on the supposition that he is the Roman pontiff, 
he is in heresy by by denying the necessity to proselytize them. And it also denies the whole mission that Christ gave to the apostles, which is to go out and preach the gospel and convert people and bring them to salvation. So, so uh, he is declaring the, uh, the mission that Christ gave to the apostles of conversion uh, to be a sin. And I can't imagine anything more blasphemous than that. And the whole missionary activity of the Catholic Church as well. Indeed. It's interesting. The best example that we have out of this entire story was the Orthodox. The Orthodox, in response to, to their invitation to come and participate with Francis, uh, sent a note saying, uh, because of existing dogmatic differences, that they would not be attending. And I thought, well, at least the Orthodox get it. At least they believe that there's a dogma. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's more than Bergoglio could yes. say. At least they, they believe that certain things are true and certain things are false. And, you know, you would attract the schismatics much better if you were true to Roman Catholic dogma. The, the, they, if there's anything that is in them to be attracted to the true faith, they would be attracted by the fact that the Catholic Church is true to its dogmas. Not that it's saying these stupid things, as I have pointed out many times, the Catholic Church uh, before Vatican II reconciled a great many schismatics by just being Catholic, whereas Vatican II has fallen flat on its face in reconciling schismatics and other non-Catholics. Fallen flat on its face. It's been a failure for 50 years. None of these people are interested. And, and it's just another case of it. You know, he thinks they're going to come flocking because we're not going to try to proselytize them. Well, anybody that believes in dogma would say, why don't you try to proselytize? If you believe in your dogmas, why don't you try to convince me of them? And if you don't believe in your dogmas, your religion is a sham. Right? So that, that's, um, uh, you know, that, that's... To, for him to say it's a, a sin is, is, is to say that, that all of the missionaries of the Catholic Church who went out to China and to North America and South America and Africa, all the parts of the world, all were committing sin, sin after sin, by trying to bring people back from their weird and sick religions that they fell into as a result of original sin. I mean, the, the, the man is, is just, uh, there's not a word for him. How anyone can regard him as a Roman Catholic is beyond my, my belief anymore. You know, there's nothing left. Yeah, what, you uh, said, you, what you said, Your Excellency, about conver conversion and converting people, um, I had a phone call from a uh, guy on Saturday evening and he was a someone I had never talked to before, and lived down in Texas. And he had had a uh, uh, he was a member of uh, some outfit called the Church of God initially. And he, um, uh, in effect, read himself into the Catholic Church. Uh, you know, he wasn't uh, intellectual, but he was just a, a persistent reader. And so he read about Catholicism and um, the history of Catholicism, Catholic dogma, and he signed up in his local Novus Ordo parish for the RCIA, which is the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, which is the, 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 the catechism uh, 
program for supposedly for adult converts. And it was taught by some bus driver deacon um, who, you know, was not that I have anything against bus drivers, but uh, the, the... Only against deacons. Only against, <laughs> yeah, only against deacons. <laughs> so it, uh, this idiot was giving the class and was spouting the uh, doctrine of ecumenism that, well, you know, it's, it's, it's really not necessary to, uh, if you start out in a, a, a Protestant church, to convert to uh, Catholicism. It just kind of gives you fullness. And then even uh, members of non-Catholic uh, or non-Christian religions, of course, can be saved, like the Buddhists and Hindus, etc. So this uh, fellow challenged the deacon on it. And the deacon said, oh, no, this is the, uh, you know, this is the new teaching. And th the uh, man said, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why would one um, bother to embrace Catholicism if it doesn't really make any difference what you believe and it doesn't affect your salvation? You know, you don't have a justification for doing what you're doing. So he quit the RCIA class and um, started researching uh, on the Internet and eventually found us. That it, 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 even, even someone from a some sort of lolly bolly piney woods uh, <laughs> southern snake handling church can figure out that you know there's that there's a problem here well I, I'm, I'm glad i'm glad the retired snake handler found yeah, you father. anyone looking objectively at religion would understand that anyone looking objectively at religion would understand that right away i mean if he's moved by grace to examine the Catholic re or any religion really as, as the true religion and there's looking for the true religion mm -hmm. he would understand that because that's that's a necessary part of religion that it say the truth about God and truth necessarily excludes error you know you don't have to go very far intellectually to figure that out uh, but uh, yeah it's uh, but the, you know people are are poisoned by the idea today that ecumenism is the is the ultimate uh, principle. Uh, it's it's like liberty in the French. Excuse me, liberty in the French Revolution is the ultimate principle, and it, it is the, the the flag of the, of the Novus Ordo. And so it's not surprising that that he talks about sins against ecumenism because that is the Novus Ordo. Everything is in the name of ecumenism, and ecumenism is condemned. It's a false, false, uh, it's contrary to the Catholic faith. It's been condemned again and again. The, the other consideration in that connection is, is not only from the point of view of, of uh, the Novus Ordo Church and uh, their ideas on ecumenism, uh, but uh, their ideas are reinforced by modern society and modern culture, which is, uh, uh, thinks that uh, religion is just something sort of extra. Uh, it does not really matter what you believe uh, uh, one way or another. So the, the, in that sense, the poison of ecumenism is a perfect uh, accommodation to modern culture, the modern society, and the modern mentality. Yes, everyone finishes a, a discussion, at least in my experience, with, well, we all worship the same God, or 
is something equivalent. Anytime I have a discussion with a Novus Ordite, that's always the end of the conversation. We all worship the same God. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't matter, you know, what we believe. And, and yeah, that's, that's my experience. It, it is the ultimate dogma. It's the first dogma. Or they might say, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree or something like yeah, that, right? Yeah, some, some equivalent of it. That it doesn't matter. These things don't matter. And and yeah, I you know I see where you're coming from, and well, that's fine that you know you like that, and 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 we all worship the same God, and and then that's the end. You know, there's ma- many well, many roads it, to Grandma's house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm very glad on the way to Grandma's house, uh, Father, the the former snake handler found you, so uh, he doesn't know what he's what he's in for, but uh, we're 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 glad he. Glad he found us. I had yeah. my response that we all worship the same God is speak for yourself. You don't worship my God, <laughs> and I sure don't worship yours. You know, Indeed. you always, I like to end things on a, on a positive note, you know? <laughs> Send them away smiling. Oh. Yes. On that positive note, I want to move to our next news item, which again comes from uh, La Stampa, but from Andrea Tor- Tornielli. And this is a, a quote from, from Francis. It says, Life is life, and things must be taken as they come. Sin is sin. Inclinations or hormonal imbalances cause many problems, and we need to be careful when claiming all cases are the same. We need to embrace and study each case, accompany the person, discern and integrate them. This is what Jesus would do today. But please, don't go and say now, the Pope is going to sanctify transsexuals. I can just picture the front pages of the newspapers, the headline unironically, this is how I, as Pope, welcome homosexual people and transsexuals. (laughs) In Vatican Insider. (laughs) Right. Um, Well... Again, there are very some very clear rules about sexual morality because it all depends on the natural law. And anything that depends on the natural law is something that does not change by circumstances, and even very dire circumstances. For example, if a, a man were to propose uh, raping a woman, she has to resist him with all of her might and even accept death before she would consent to rape because it is contrary to the natural law. Any, uh, the reason it's contrary to the natural law is that any use of sexuality is related to God's creative act in making a new human being. And so, the, therefore, anything at all that, that pertains to the use of, of, of sex comes under that very grave natural law whereby we are participating in what is, what is a, a, in a way, a sacred act of God whereby he's creating a soul that is ordered to seeing him forever in heaven. Uh, and, and therefore, it's not like animals that, that you know, just re- reproduce and uh, continue the species. Not at all. This is a way of cooperating with God. So obviously, anything to do with with sexual morality uh, is natural law, is of the natural law. So therefore, there are no circumstances that change it. That this is this is the constant teaching of the Catholic Church that there are there are no circumstances that can make a sexual sin not a sin, <laughs> objectively. 
These people can, yes, you know, have less guilt through passion and fear and all of those things. But there is no way to make objectively a sexual sin a non-sin by circumstances. It just cannot happen. So he is ruining that teaching, that universal teaching concerning Catholic morality right there in that one statement. And we're into, we're into this, uh, like the this, this 60s situation ethics. Yes. So he has has uh, yeah so so he has superimposed uh, that here, and I remember the conservatives, um, of course, used to speak against that and used to uh, used to oppose it, but uh, it's become so widespread now uh, apparently that they don't really holler all that much or complain all that much. Um, for Bergoglio saying something like this, it's 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 like they become sort of desensitized themselves. But that's that's exactly um, that's exactly what's going on here. And once you start applying that principle of situation ethics, you can justify anything. And when you think of all of the possible sexual perversions, my goodness, you open up a, a whole Pandora's box of all sorts of evil things. When you say, uh, for example, that the tendency justifies the object, that you know, if you have a tendency to something, if you have an appetite for something, that makes the object of your appetite legitimate, you know, which is the case of transgenders and everything else. If, if it's legitimate to become a transgender, it means that your appetite for the same gender legitimizes your pursuit of a life in which you are, you know, something different from what you were born with. And, you know, if you open that up, uh, there are all sorts of things that, that will become correct by situation ethics. And not only in sexual morality, but something else that is surfacing now is euthanasia. Uh, for example, I just saw recently the doctors in Canada by some Supreme Court decision of, uh, up there, uh, must participate in euthanasia even if it's contrary to their principles. So they, they are forced, and don't forget they have a government-sponsored and run um, medicine up there. So you are essentially an agent of the government if you're a doctor. So you must participate in euthanasia, uh, you know, if the, if the customer requires it. Uh, and all sorts of other things that... that I mean, if you abandon the natural law, you're finished. You're, you're, uh, the, the ship has sunk. And, and humanity just descends in, into unspeakable evil. And here, you know, he's supposed to be the defender of natural law. The popes have always said that the church is the defender of natural law. And, and he, he, he just gives it all away now by just that one sentence. In the art imitating life category, Rurate has a story um, from their their European correspondent or the Roman correspondent, Christina Sicardi, about uh, a film, well, not a film, a series that premiered at the Venice Film Festival called The Young Pope. And I've started to see some ads for it here on the Paris Metro. But it stars Jude Law. And there was a line, and as I read it, I thought, oh, Bishop Sanborn would, would have completely predicted something like this. But the character says, the character playing the, the, the Pope, Jude Law says, I don't believe in God. And then afterwards sneering, I'm only joking. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, this is exactly a line that Francis would say. He would say something like that. Mm -hmm. 
Except maybe leave out the second sentence. <laughs> uh, no, I, I uh, have always said I think he's an atheist. So, um, yeah, uh, they they have. Uh, I think art does imitate life in that case. The, uh, of course, you've always uh, had uh, the strain, particularly in Europe, of um, uh, you know the godless and the atheist who. Wrote tirades against the church and um, the the vile pamphlets and and, and uh, books and so on. So in the media age, it really isn't, I suppose, quite uh, that surprising that you'd see something like this. But uh, there certainly would have been more of a uh, reaction from those who were uh, Catholics uh, against something uh, like this. But of course, there isn't. Because um, the idea of being militant about anything is uh, out the window. That we, we can't judge anything, and that would be too severe. And if it doesn't matter what you believe, really, um, why not make fun of the church? And why not make fun of the Pope? Uh, you know, that, that that's, something that, uh, that's something you're free to do. It's not anything particularly sacred or repository of truth. Um, so, you know, go for mm -hmm. it. Fifty years of Vatican II has done that to the minds of the people. If that had been done in 1955, let's say, when Pius XII was in Rome, they probably would have arrested the people that made the film and, and put them in jail. You know, uh, the Vatican II has destroyed the notion of dogma and absolute truth in the whole Catholic population. Your Excellency, I always hear you say that culture is the great teacher of minds, and culture normally there's a dialogue between between the church and and the world, and and we can see positive signs of this with something like Ben Hur, where there were, there was respectful uh, portrayals of our Lord, for example. That, that sometimes culture has a positive role to play, but uh, it's clear here that this is feeding off of what the world and the culture perceives to be the Catholic Church. So they see someone like Francis, which means it's perfect uh, to do something like this because they're mirroring the church that they see. Yeah, yeah it, it, Vatican II ha, has been a tidal wave uh, of, of evil doctrine. It has destroyed Catholic dogma in the minds of Catholics themselves. Therefore, it has destroyed Catholic culture. Therefore, we cannot expect the world to have any Catholic culture or any kind of you know, a vestige of Catholic culture or anything at all if the Catholics themselves don't have it. And, and to the contrary, they, they have a, an, a, an anti-Catholic culture, an anti-dogmatic culture, uh, not one of Christ the King and the, the reign of Christ in society, but one of pluralism and ecumenism, the same thing, that it doesn't matter what you believe. So to say, you know, Pope to say, I don't believe in God. Well, you know, that's not shocking. Probably most of the people that listen to them don't, you know, in the sense uh, they as St. Pius X said, modernism leads to atheism. And where, whereas that would have been a shocking thing in the 1950s, now it's not shocking at all. What of it if the Pope doesn't believe in God? A few people might, you know, a few, a few of the older people might, might find that shocking. It's um, uh, another example uh, the fact that, that Vatican II has been a total flop, 
Because remember the way that this was, was sold to us way back when was, well, you know, the, 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 um, uh, we're opening the windows and the uh, church is updating and we're going to engage in dialogue in, in uh, the world and administer, oh, the uh, medicine of mercy and not of condemnation, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to draw people to the church. And of course, 50 years later, it's a total flop because they, the world uh, as is evidenced by something like this, and, and time and time again, does not respect the church because the church really doesn't believe in anything. That's what they perceive. So it's, it's another uh, bit of evidence th that what Vatican II uh, set out to do uh, ended up being a total flop in the final analysis. Set out to do, I would say the modernists knew exactly what they were doing. And, uh, you know, the transformation of the church and the more radical among them knew exactly what was going to take place uh, in, a, in a view of a whole different kind of world, a, a world without Catholicism. We next have Assisi, what I call Episode 6, uh, which happened uh, starting on September the 20th was when Francis arrived. And I suppose we... You know, it's interesting, Your Excellency Father, the Assisi event is almost passe now. There's not really too much to say about it, which is its own commentary. But I want to go back to 1986 and your own states of mind, because I think this is a more relevant uh, conversation. When the Assisi event landed and we had this sort of reaction from Archbishop Lefebvre, could you ever imagine that it would it would be an ongoing thing that it would it would happen every year over the next however many years. I mean, the fact that it's happened so many times now, um, could you could you have imagined that when 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 you first heard about it? I, I don't know quite what um, uh, what I would have thought at the time. It was something that that really you know bowled me over. One knew that JP two was an ecumenist of uh, the worst sort. So I, uh, I suppose if I had been asked that uh, again, uh, you know, would he do something like this again? Honestly, I suppose I would say, oh, yeah, he's capable of it. But the interesting thing that um, about these successive uh, Assisi's and then uh, what Bergoglio's up to is this did not draw that much, much interest from uh, or horror from traditionalist Catholics uh, at this point for two reasons. First of all, they've gotten used to the idea that, um, well, you know, our beloved Holy Father is um, going to go and conduct um, these, these um, uh, little love-ins with uh, people who wear saffron robes, etc., and all sorts of uh, odd things, and that the, this is something now that is the new normal. So we've got that. And then the other thing is that with Bergoglio, there's so many other outrageous things that he does that uh, Assisi is just sort of a small blip on the radar. So it's, it's, it's uh, I, I, I think those are the two considerations I would give to it. I remember Assisi in 1986, and I think my only concern about it was that it was extreme in, in the genre, so to speak. We had seen so much of JP2's ecumenism and so much of Paul VI's ecumenism that, in principle, it was not shocking. It was just shocking in its extremity, that's all. And 
you know, but there were, it's all contained in Vatican II. And yes, I agree with Father Jakata that there is so much. I mean, when, when you're standing in front of a, a tidal wave and there's all of this garbage coming in, you know, the people's garbage cans going by, maybe dead bodies going by and so forth, after a while, you become sort of numb to it all. You know that well. There's a lot of lot of trash and, and dead animals and everything like that moving by as the water comes in, and you you know you just think, oh well, you know this is life now. And I, I think that's where the Nova Soto conservatives are. Uh, you know, I think they're more and more baffled as to how to to respond to these things. Uh, and yes, what's an ecumenical meeting when when Bergoglio is saying that people who are divorced and remarried, like like Henry VIII, can go to Holy Communion. I mean, you know, exchanging plants or something with these people, as Father says, in saffron robes and whatnot, uh, is is really small potatoes. Not to make a pun, but the uh, you know, in comparison to to uh, you know, Bergoglio says there's no such thing as a Catholic God. You know, it's and and gradually with every with every silence uh, that they choose to take, they collapse a little bit more. They come down a notch, just as when you're letting your car down after with your jack uh, after you've changed your tire. Little by little, notch by notch, the car comes down until it's finally down. And little by little, the Novus Ordo conservative is is just coming down and gradually becoming a Novus Ordoite. And that's where they will all end up. I mean, SSPX is about to to you know make their grand entry with their personal plural prelature. Excuse me, <laughs> uh, you have to say that ten times quickly. Uh, I mean, they're about to make their grand entry into the Novus Ordo, and these Novus Ordo conservatives will just eventually give it up. I mean, there's only so many arguments you can make that are that are even slightly plausible. Well, and some of it's down to ignorance as well, Your Excellency. For our, our listeners, uh, if you've been following along with His Excellency's program, Popes Against the Modern Errors, you'll note that our most recent episode was part one of Mortalium Animos, which Bishop Sanborn calls the most anti-Vatican II document that, that exists prior to Vatican II. And it was helpful that Novus Ordo Watch, in commenting on Assisi, excerpted uh, numbers 7 and 8 from Mortalium Animos. Controversies, therefore, they say, and long-standing differences of opinion which keep asunder till the present day the members of the Christian family must be entirely put aside, and from the remaining doctrines a common form of faith drawn up and proposed for belief, and in the profession of which all may not only know but feel that they are brothers. The manifold churches or communities, if united in some kind of universal federation, would then be in a position to oppose strongly and with, some, with success the progress of irreligion. This, venerable brethren, is what is commonly said. Some even go so far as to wish the pontiff himself to provide over their motley, so to say, assemblies. But all the same, although many non-Catholics may be found who loudly preach fraternal communion in Christ Jesus, yet you will find none at all to whom it ever occurs to submit to and obey the vicar of Jesus Christ either in his capacity as a teacher or as a governor. Meanwhile, they affirm that they would willingly treat with the Church of Rome, but on equal terms, that is, as equals with an equal. But even if they could do so, act, it does not seem open to doubt that any pact into which they might enter would not compel them to turn from those opinions which are still the reason why they err and stray from the onefold of Christ. 
This being so, it is clear that the Apostolic See cannot on any terms take part in their assemblies, nor is it any way lawful for Catholics either to support or to work for such enterprises, for if they do so, they will be giving countenance to a false Christianity quite alien to the one Church of Christ. Shall we suffer what would indeed be iniquitous, the truth, and a truth divinely revealed to be made a subject for compromise? For here, there is question of defending revealed truth. So that's my question, Your Excellency. Novus Ordo Conservative, they read Mortale Monimos. I mean, they're accused by Pius the, Pius XI. I mean, what's the response to that? So Pius XI is outdated? Well, they would say that, you know, that uh, they're historicists, uh, that that was true in his time, that, uh, you know, that's the way he perceived it, that there were certain dangers at the time. But we understand better now, and, and so therefore uh, we, we don't need to pay attention to those things. That's the way they treat the whole of Catholic dogma. So they can assent to it in its time. See, and the, and the Holy Father didn't understand. See, and, and but uh, so uh, that's the way they get around those things. And the martyr complex, too, that, uh, you know, we uh, suffer from, uh, we suffer from these, these different error, uh, errors and misinterpretations uh, being uh, spread around. But, um, uh, you know, nevertheless it's 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 something that we feel we have to uh, suffer through with uh, for the good of the church and to do what we can in our little part of it so that's the that's the other side of it too yes it's uh, it's the way modernism passed they just submerge they they roll their eyes and submerge and and they know and believe in the ultimate success of their program for as long as there are no pious attempts on the throne See, the, the, the moderate uh, approach to modernism is the one that, that uh, triumphed. See, Pius X's approach was very firm uh, and root them out. And then there was the modernist, which is the other side. And that, uh, so, that, that, so that's the, the left and right, if you want. Uh, excuse me, the modernist, it was the, the left. And then the Pius X approach was the right. Well, in between were those who would say, well, we're not modernists and we condemn modernism, but we don't think that we should be too harsh with them and that we think that if they are properly uh, instructed that they will come around. And so those three pontificates from uh, Benedict XV through Pius XII, which is 1914 and 1958, were content with merely condemning modernist uh, ideas and and principles uh and they felt that that was their their duty to the truth and they had done their duty to the truth but they never uprooted the modernists as i said in another show it's as if uh, you were to go out to your garden and preach to the weeds that you really shouldn't be weeds and that you you should give up your weedhood and become nice flowers and then, you know, you go back into your house and you expect all of the weeds to turn into nice flowers. That, that was their, their approach to it. Whereas Pius X's approach was weed them out, go into the garden with, with a, a weeder and go right to the root and pull them out. He actually shut down a whole seminary in Perugia because it was infected with modernism. Shut it down. That, that's, you know, that was his approach to it. And whereas that was never seen again. And so the, these modernists 
had the ability to submerge and to they they got involved in other things like social and liturgical expressions of modernism, uh, you know, this, uh, Christian democracy, for example, and also the, the liturgical movement, uh, Dom Baudouin, uh, Pius Parsh, and others who were uh, that that wanted the liturgy to carry modernism through. But they didn't return to their dogmatic modernism until after World War II, really. The last news story for under the uh, Call Me Jorge category is the new cardinals that were just made uh, recently. And uh, again, we're not really a, a current event show in terms of keeping up with the, the U.S. Uh, Novus Ordo. But there were two Americans on this list, uh, Blaise Kupich of Chicago and a Joseph William Tobin of Indianapolis. Uh, Your Excellency Father, do we know anything about these? I mean, obviously we know a bit about Kupich. Do we know anything about this Tobin character? Well, the, he was a he was the head of the Redemptorist order for a while, uh, elected there twice, and um, he um, uh, had a he, he was involved in uh, the controversy or in resolving the controversy between uh, the Vatican and, and the um, uh, crazy goddess worshiping nuns in the United States the, uh, the there's a uh, it's it's a uh, some sort of a, a conference of, of uh, major religious superiors uh, in the United States uh, these these different dying congregations of nuns that was up to all sorts of really crazy stuff, like uh, the uh, uh, Earth Goddess and uh, climate change and uh, uh, women church, uh, etc. And in any event, under uh, JP two, the um, uh, either he or the Vatican Congregation for Religious uh, set up. Um, a commission uh, with a series of visitors to come over to uh, investigate these girls and find out what they were doing and um, eventually get them to uh, uh, toe the, the conservative Novus Ordo line. Well, in any event, this, this went on for years and the controversy went on for years and these sisters were, uh, you know, busy, uh, speaking truth to power and not doing what they were supposed to do as far as the Vatican went. So this uh, Tobin uh, eventually was uh, appointed to this particular commission, uh, and he managed to arrive at some sort of a um, uh, some sort of a compromise with them to um, uh, and that in effect sort of let let them off the hook, and this happened under. Um, Bergoglio. Bergoglio, in effect, left them off the hook. But uh, because of this, because he had taken sort of the liberal side, then there was some sort of a, a bureaucratic turf fight in the Vatican Congregation for Religious. So Tobin ended up being sent back to the United States uh, and being made Archbishop of uh, Indianapolis. So that's kind of the uh, long story in the background for him. But no, he in fact is, um, like, uh, it's soupage, by the way. Think of soup kitchen and Bergoglio and, and uh, wanting you to go to soup kitchens, and that's soupage. So 
uh, he and um, uh, Tobin are uh, cons considered to be bishops who are not cultural warriors. And what that term means is that they're not going to uh, take any strong stands against abortion, uh, um, contraception, uh, etc., anything in the the civil um, uh, the civil laws of the United States. So bishops who were opposed to that are perceived by the left as being part of the culture wars. So the universal sentence on these two, on Supich and on Tobin, and also on Farrell, who is uh, being sent back to the, um, uh, who is his, uh, uh, going to the Vatican to take up a position there, that the three of them are seen as not really caring about uh, these particular positions. So it's, it's what you would call a uh, progressive or liberal appointment, all three of them. And the, the, the conservatives were cut out. Uh, uh, the the uh, Chaput. Chaput, yeah, he in uh, in Phil Philadelphia was was not, and Philadelphia has had a cardinal since the late nineteenth century. Yeah. So to to skip Philadelphia was definitely a snub. But he was the one that Chaput of Philadelphia, who said recently that divorced and remarried persons may not uh, receive Holy Communion. So he's being punished now. Yeah. Well, he's received his answer, hasn't he, Your Excellency? Yes, yes. He's. Uh, it is a snub. I mean, Philadelphia always had a cardinal, always. And instead, Bergoglio is is uh, appointing um, uh, people from uh, other parts of the world, oddball places. You know, the, the Central African Republic. I don't know if anyone could find that on the map, uh, or Mauritius, which I think is in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And then someone from Port Moresby in Indonesia, you know, so. Or Indianapolis. I mean, nothing against Indianapolis, but it's not exactly, <laughs> a, a, you know, it's no Philadelphia or New York. You know what I mean? It's, it's uh, I don't think it ever had a cardinal or anything. I mean, it's, it's not a tremendous sea or a very important sea. Well, it's got the Indianapolis 500. I, I was going to say, well, that, Your Excellency, it does, it does have that, and we know that uh, uh, His Excellency knows that that's worth skipping mass for, uh, that he's heard that before uh, yes. uh, from somebody. Yes. So yes. you, know, you, have, you have to look uh, at things in context. That must have been Excellency. it. It must have been it. Um, the second segment in today's episode is out in the Novus Ordo sect, and we have Catholic Family News and the Remnant uh, publishing Meet Brendene Sorge with burning concern. We accuse Pope Francis, uh, the conclusion essentially being that the man is, is not a Catholic, but the idea of uh, copying uh, Pius XI's encyclical title, uh, and the, I guess they're issuing their own encyclical, Your Excellency, but this is uh, their own j'accuse, and I'm sure, uh, as Novus Ordo Watch said, I'm sure that Francis is shaking in his boots. <laughs> oh, he must be, yes. And it's just kind of silly to to cite Pius XI's encyclical, which was against Nazi racism, and a, in general a condemnation of the the Nazi regime, but mostly against Nazi racism, to use that title to condemn Bergoglio, who is neither a racist nor a Nazi. I mean, whatever else he is, he's not a racist or a Nazi, and it's just absurd. It makes their position absurd. 
more absurd than it already is. Uh, and uh, and yes, so, you know, if you're accusing and, and you're not doing anything about it, well, then again, your position is absurd. You know, it, it's 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 like trying to to arrest somebody without a gun. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it says it, it makes you absurd. Uh, and here they they should draw the conclusion uh, that. Uh, the that the uh, you know that he is not the pope, of course, and that if you're a public heretic, you're outside the church, and and all the other conclusions and so forth and whatnot. They never draw the conclusion, so it remains a dead letter. I mean, who cares? They've been doing this nonsense for years, and and uh, none of it ever does any good, and it's just it's it's uh, hand wringing, and uh, this is the the. Um, uh, the remnant, the original remnant, Walter, Walter Matt, who was the founder of the uh, remnant, was notorious for this. He goes on for columns, or would go on for columns and columns and columns, uh, you know, just hand wringing, and the um, and drawing absolutely no practical uh, conclusion about it, and they they um, it's uh, you know just whining about it. Uh, since they're headquartered in Minnesota. It's actually depressing. Uh, yes, it is. It's depressing. And, and you don't, yeah. um, uh, because it's pointless. Because it's pointless. And right. uh, we used to say that because uh, they were in uh, Minnesota, it was Minnesota wine country because they were whining all the time. <laughs> but really not. Right. But it's their form of uh, self-absolution for not doing anything. Yes, that's right. You see that we are that we that we're suffering, we're whining, and then there, there's a catharsis that takes place that we have done our duty in saying this, and uh, you know. But it is depressing. I mean, it's the only word to use for it. Uh, that once you get through with finding out all of that stuff, well, you know, you just want to, you know, <laughs> just want to end it all. I mean, when you really look at the the condition of the church that they are describing. One, one of the other things in, in uh, regard to the remnant that and this particular issue is there was an um, article about a week ago that was put up. Um, uh, it was written by a woman named Hillary White, uh, who uh, is an American who lives in Italy. And the uh, idea that w was that, well, Francis is getting so bad now uh, that uh, people who are really and truly concerned about the Catholic faith uh, may end up having to abandon their churches and go have mass in conference rooms in hotels. <laughs> and, and you imagine know, that. Yeah, imagine that. So uh, the uh, uh, I put a few comments in in their comment box, um, and uh, but I mean. Uh, uh, I figured she must be must have been younger, new to the traditional movement, uh, you know, to uh, to say something like that because that's of course what we had to do. Yes. But the 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 question to raise, uh, and that I raised is that well, how about these people who are comfortable, say, with the in, uh, indult and the motu proprio masses inside the Novus Ordo institutions? I mean, how many of them would really be inclined to do that? Because they're they're off over in their own corner, and they've been told for years that they can ignore the Pope, 
and uh, that they're, they're kind of on their own. I don't think there'd be many takers for anything like that because they've been like, like, like the proverbial frog. They've all been, uh, you know, a boil or uh, the water's been heated up over, um, uh, you know, a long period of time. And pretty soon they've been boiled. So, uh, you know, I can't see um, the, many of those people at least doing that. I mean, it must make you it must make you feel a bit seasoned, uh, Father, to know that there's these kids these days growing up not knowing what a garage or conference hall mass was. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that's yeah. that's exactly right. In fact, uh, we had someone um, uh, give a talk here on um, uh, groceries. In fact, it was Justin Soder. He talked here on Rosary Sunday about how he ended up as a traditional Catholic and how he ended up here at St. Gertrude's. And um, he uh, made the point that, um, uh, you know, how lucky you people are that, uh, you know, you have churches to go to, at, at least in some places where you have the mass and you have schools and you have a seminary and everything. And, uh, you know, what a wonderful thing this is. And I was thinking of, you know, our young people listening to it. Uh, and they've been spoiled a little bit by our, uh, uh, by kind of how things have improved over the years. The old timers, of course, remember the, the beer halls and, you know, smelling of, of stale smoke from the night before. <laughs> and the literally, I mean, uh, literally is, oh, uh, was... The, the beer on the beer on the carpet for years and years we did that well the mission in England uh, your excellency uh, we in the uh, in the hallway the line for confession in, in London we've got the uh, the yoga notices you know uh, because we've got uh, <laughs> the hall is used for other things so I'm thinking as people are trying yes. to recollect themselves to go up and uh, and and get blistered by his excellency in confession that uh, you know they're 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 noticing the notices for uh, yoga or meditation there so uh, in some places we're just getting started yeah well, yes go. yes to a great extent uh, I mean that's the case really in Europe in most cases they're they're saying mass in rented facilities in most cases uh and maybe not in all cases but uh you know in paris i think you're doing that uh, except for that little chapel and uh i was talking to father uh, jocelyn Legal. Uh, i was just in europe last week and uh, he was giving me sort of a breakdown of, of what's happening and all and uh but yeah to a great extent uh, at least the state of acanthus in europe are, are in that point you know and uh uh, but, you know, that keeps Catholics lean and mean in a, in a good sense, you know, the, the having to sacrifice uh, and having to bear up with essentially the stable of Bethlehem uh, in order to have the Mass. Uh, it keeps them um, uh, fervent. Uh, you know, when, when Constantine legalized the Catholic Church in 312, there was a significant decline in the fervor of Catholics who now could uh, be a, a Catholic and not have to worry about it, not have to worry whether they were going to be arrested and put to death. Uh, there was a significant decline in the fervor of Catholics. Uh, and uh, uh, so, you know, there, there's, uh, what, well, whereas on the other hand, there was a, an increase in Catholic culture. So that, you know, there's, it goes both ways. Uh, but the, uh, you know, the fact that Catholics have to sacrifice a great deal in order to have the Mass uh, really increases their devotion. 
as difficult as it is, it increases their devotion. Those are the old timers who helped build the uh, the churches uh, that that uh, you all service, uh, Your Excellency and Father. Yes, I mean that. that uh, yes, they 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 certainly remember those days. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of the uh, people who assist, uh, uh, assisted at uh, this talk was an old timer from that we've known for forty years, and they started out in um, you know in in uh, some sort of a rented room down in in Missouri. In fact, uh, as we're talking about this, Your Excellency, I'm thinking of the uh, pamphlet that. Uh, I did the initial pamphlet I did, Welcome to the Traditional Latin Mass, which is still available. Um, and uh, I did this way, way, way back when. And one of the, the points I made was that, well, uh, you know, the, the, the Mass in some places is offered in churches, but in other places it's offered in, in rented rooms. And uh, that, remember, if you're discouraged by this, uh, the first Mass was offered in a rented room. So, you know, that's a great point. That's a great point. I say yes. that in a certain way, we, we, we kind of need, as His Excellency said, that, that lean, mean look. Uh, he, just to bookend what we were saying about Matt Venari and uh, Christopher Ferrara, I think what's interesting there is they're it. They don't, they haven't raised up anybody and they haven't inspired anybody to take uh, after them. So when they're gone, they're gone. There isn't going to be any of this leading resistance press. I suppose that's one way that I look at it there. But the, the concern look I have is, as you said, some of these younger people at places like St. Gertrude's or MHT might be spoiled and not realize that, you know, you've got to fight for this sort of thing. And, and sometimes it, maybe just to keep you sharp, uh, these rented facilities can offer that that sharp edge. Yes, that's right. No, yes, it, no, it is true. It is uh, true. The sacrifice brings it home. Yes. Uh, the uh, the last news item in the out in the Novus Ordo sect is uh, annulments now on sale in the diocese of Scranton. Uh, when they put a fee waiver in place, uh, the uh, the track now is to be the highest uh, annulment rate ever. So uh, I, I suppose that that was uh, the last barrier to come down, uh, Your Excellency, is, uh, is the, uh, the price. So if you take the price away, people, people get in. Sure. Make it easy, you know. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, although, you know, to charge money for uh, what is essentially a legal process is not unreasonable. I mean, in, in any situation. Everything costs money. Even canonizations cost money because people have to, People who do the research have to eat. <laughs> they have to have living yes. a place to live. They have to drive a car. They have to do other things, and so you know, in itself, the the charging of money for any kind of ecclesiastical legal process is not in any way unreasonable. Uh, you know, people often make fun of it and and become nasty about it, but. You know, it's just it's just normal life, and, and if you go to a lawyer, the first thing he'll say to you is five thousand dollars, please, and then we'll talk. You know, and, and uh, so, but it's all it's the same principle: is that if you're giving out advice or if you're doing research or anything at all, you have to eat. Otherwise, you have to do something else: go work at McDonald's. 
I have to say that I agree with you, Your Excellency. I couldn't, I figured it was just a question of lay people misunderstanding. That's the fact that, uh, you know, you do have to do research and uh, that it is a, that people do have to eat. But uh, the, the interesting thing, though, that, that uh, occurred to me, what occurred to me is that 500 bucks, I mean, look, the uh, people to entertain themselves pay 500 bucks yes. without a uh, without uh, batting an eye to go to a, if, if uh, you go with a couple of friends to a baseball game it costs you a fortune yes yes and they don't uh, uh, you know or uh, you know I don't know Disneyland what Disneyland uh. forget it 500 bucks that's a four pack of tickets to a Bengals game uh, uh, father uh, yeah, uh. yeah not that I'd ever experienced that. Um, they're the baseball the team, are they? They're, 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 they're the uh, American football team. There, uh, uh, you're actually some some oh, people. Some people are even willing to pick up trash after uh, after those games. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, so we've heard. Oh, so we've heard. Um, <laughs> so, it, but it, it, the uh, idea is that um, the uh, your Novus Ordo types who are spending uh, money on all this other stuff. Uh, that uh, you know they they would uh, a grouse about grouse for five hundred bucks for getting a uh, marriage uh, uh, taken care of really doesn't it I think to me shows that their values are sort of mixed up. They don't really need to anymore. Let them do without cable for two if, months. If you can go to the sacraments without an annulment, why do you need annulments anymore? Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think they should probably just create an app for that. Uh, Your Excellency and Father, have an annulment app. You know, that would just take this uh, out of the equation altogether. People could fill out the forms online and just hit submit, and then it could auto-approve that way. Yes, that's right. Sure, why that's not? Right. Yeah. Well, um, Your Excellency Father, thanks so much for your time, as always. Uh, we've come to the end of another episode, and, and as always, I ask, how is everything at the seminary, Your Excellency? Oh, fine. Let's see if there's anything to report. Um, everybody seems to be proceeding nicely. Uh, let's see. We weathered the hurricane. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to th let's, uh, we had virtually nothing here. We had a little wind and virtually no rain. And um, uh, that's about it. I'm going to respond to Bishop Williamson. Did you see the attack? Yes. Uh, and Bishop Williamson's, yes. Well, I'm going to do a video tomorrow responding to that. So you can look for that on our website in the next few days. Wonderful. The seminary website. We'll obviously promote that. Yes. So here, here at St. Gertrude's, of course, the, the initial news since, since April is that I've been sick and going through chemotherapy, which is actually fairly awful. It's quite awful. I thought they it was actually, fun. They say that, you know, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <I'm only kidding. laughs> the, uh, 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 the doctor tells you up front that, well, what I basically do is poison you, uh, you know, and he does, you know, to... Uh, uh, I guess, keep the cancer from spreading. But in any event, that was why I have been off Francis Watch for a while. But uh, nevertheless, I managed to make two little films, uh, Hollywood on the uh, Ohio River here, uh, you know, <laughs> went into gear to handle the Cisco and Salsa's uh, True or False Pope. So I was 
happy I was able to do two videos on that, and uh, which I think were, uh, uh, which made the point and actually got quite a lot of views. Um, so there's that bit of news. Um, we have, we started our um, choir and liturgical season again at St. Gertrude the Great. We've had, uh, you know, the October rosary procession, uh, and we'll soon be having um, the week from Sunday, we'll be having a um, uh, 40 hours devotion, uh, the Blessed Sacrament. Then the Sunday after that, the big celebration of the Feast of Christ the King. And following that, the Sunday within the octave of um, uh, the octave of uh, the Feast of All Saints, uh, where we have after Mass our children's party, where they come dressed as saints, which is always really very very charming. So we've got a number of things going. We're uh, putting out uh, ads already for the uh, 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 the calendar. This next year's calendar is. Um, the, the theme is Saints of the Counter-Reformation. Uh, you can find that on SGG Resources. And um, uh, as well on there, there are devotional uh, books for uh, devotional books for November for the Holy Souls. So there's, uh, uh, um, as usual, quite a bit going on here. And uh, we're very grateful to uh, Almighty God for our apostolate both here and the apostolate we conduct uh, through the broadcast of Mass through the internet. And if you'd like to follow what's going on at either the seminary or St. Gertrude's, you can go to mhtseminary.org or sgg.org as well as sggresources.org to support the work that's going on there. Your Excellency and Father, as always, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email questions with an S at truerestoration.org. We want to remind you that Francis Watch is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. Father Chicado will be having surgery soon. We just ask for your prayers for him. All of us here at member-supported Restoration Radio hope that you found the show to be informative, helpful, and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Stephen Heiner, and may God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.